Okay. All right. Good evening. I'm looking forward to Bible study tonight. We're gonna con- we're gonna finish up um, the 23rd chapter of Joshua. We did most of it last week, but because of time, I had to kind of cut short some things we're gonna look at. But just as a recap, uh, Joshua 23 is the last two chapters of Joshua's final address to Israel you know as they have <coughs> taken possession of the land or they <coughs> all the tribes had had the land allotted to them and the charge was to you know finish possessing the land driving out all the inhabitants and Joshua toward the end of this chapter gives them warnings of what will happen if they don't and what will happen if they do so <coughs> We're going to look at the last few, probably verses, uh, is it, looks like 14, through the balance of the chapter, the rest of the chapter. Uh, we're going to look at uh, tonight, we're going to look at some other passages that deal with this chapter, point to this chapter, and point forward away from this chapter in the book of Judges. So let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path the path of righteousness and holiness before you well help us tonight as we study this word uh, to see your truths by your spirit to know what it means to walk with you Lord to be faithful to you to love you to serve you to remember you uh, to respond to your call And Lord, just fill me with your spirit to teach this uh, text well. Lord, bless our time in here tonight, those of us who are in here and those who are watching on uh, Facebook and those who would uh, listen to the podcast when it is uh, published. In Christ's name, amen. So again, we're at the end of Joshua's life. And he is giving these words to Israel. So, looking at the beginning of this chapter, you know, it said that Joshua was advanced in years. He was getting old. And then he said here in verse 2, I am now old and well advanced in years. And, you know, you have seen all that the Lord has done, so forth and so on. He talked about the promises that God had made, everything that God did. Everything that God said he would do, he did. So he reminded them of that. Told them to possess the land. And that's in verse 5. So possessing the land means not just living there, but also driving out all the inhabitants, all the the Canaanites. That involved full possession of the land. Not just living in their allotted uh, tribes, their land, but actually driving out the enemies that's what it meant to possess okay just as the Lord had promised told him in verse 6 be strong and do all that is written in the book of Moses don't turn to the right hand or to the left that you may not mix so we talked about mixing mixing with the pagans mixing with the Canaanites mixing in marriages mixing in 
practice and business and all those things. They were not to do that. Don't make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. So in other words, don't become idolaters like the pagans are. Okay. For the Lord driven, has driven out for you great and strong nations. We talked about that. How they conquered Jericho. They conquered Ai. You know, they won all these battles in the north of the promised land, the south of the promised land, so that they could receive their inheritances. Then verse 11 says, be careful. We talked about that, being watchful, being sober, being alert. This is verse 11. Um, be careful, be alert, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And then we kind of left off on verse 12. So he tells them, be careful. Or take heed, as the New King James says. And we went to the book of Hebrews, where the writer told the Hebrews to uh, take heed to what you have heard, lest you drift away. I think that's in Hebrews 2 and 1. The importance of taking heed to God's word, not just reading it, not just hearing it preached, not just hearing it being read, but take heed to it that means to observe it to to keep it so verse 11 says take heed and that's God's word to us to take heed therefore take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God and we talked about what it meant to love what does it mean to love God to serve him to honor him to worship him to adore him to trust in him to praise him, to magnify him. Everything is all about God, to bring him glory. That's what it means to love the Lord. And, you know, I talked last week about how some people say, oh, I really, I, I love the Lord. Well, are we living like we love the Lord? Are we living like he is God? That's what it means to love the Lord. It shows in how we live. And so Joshua was telling Israel the same thing. Take heed and love the Lord. Or else, verse 12, this is where we're going to get down to what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so you take heed or else. It's like you're raising a child, you give your child, say, hey, do this or else. Right? We tell people, hey, live this way or else. And usually when you say or else, that means there's some bad consequences. When you see something preface by saying or else. Make sure that you don't stay out to three o'clock in the morning or else something bad may happen. Make sure you don't go to that club or else a fight may break out and you might get shot. So or else is a sign of warning. So Joshua told them, take heed or else. Or else what? If indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you. Remember, again, they were supposed to drive all of them out. They, were, they weren't even supposed to be a remnant. Okay. Cling means to hold fast to. God wanted his people to cling to him. God wants us to cling 
to him. And in this text, God wanted his people to cling to him, not to the Canaanites. But to cling to him, to hold fast to him. Why? Because he is their God. He is their God. So. It says. Don't cling to these nations. Those that remain among you. And what will clinging entail? He says it here. And make marriages with them. And go in to them. And they to you. So don't marry their women. Okay. So don't make marriages with unbelieving foreigners. Under any circumstance. Turn to Exodus the 34th chapter. God told them this in the wilderness. <laughs> so it's not like they didn't know about it. So if you look at, look at Exodus 34. You have Genesis and then you have Exodus. And then let's look at verse 11 of Exodus 34. This is when the covenant was renewed. This was after the giving of the Ten Commandments and the covenant was renewed. Moses, Moses made new tablets because the other tablets were broken because, you know, Moses up in the mountain and he came down and the people had made the golden calf and, and Moses thrown his tablet down, his tablets down in anger. So these are the new tablets and so the covenant is renewed. So verse 10, Exodus 34. He said, this is Moses, behold, I make a covenant before all the people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Am Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself. There are those words again. So Joshua heard these words 40 years before now, or actually about 80 years before we have in, in the book of Joshua here. Verse 12, take heed to yourselves, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going. So they were already warned 40 years or so before they even went in. Where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. And we're going to read this in Joshua here in a second. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifices to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons. That's the marriage part. And his daughters pay the harlot with their gods and make your sons pay the harlot with their gods. So this is when they were in the wilderness. God warned them. First of all, destroy everything. Of all those Canaanites. And don't worship their gods. Don't 
intermarry with them. So these people who are in Joshua now, they heard this. Some, what, 45, 50, 60 years before, they heard the same thing in the wilderness. So what is Joshua doing? Telling them the same thing. Joshua heard these words. He was of the generation in the wilderness. God is so good. We have to understand this about warnings. Warnings are a sign of love. Warnings are a sign of love. You know, our world has love twisted. We think love means let somebody do whatever they want to do. Like a person who claims to be LGBTQ or whatever, you, you have to show them love by affirming them. Affirming them in their sin, affirming them in their delusion and their confusion about themselves, affirming them in their, quote, sexual identity. The world says that's love. Affirming is love. A person that's taking drugs that's going to cause irreversible damage to their bodies. Mutilating their bodies that's going to cause irreversible damage. It's going to cause physical harm. They're going to be patients for the rest of their life. Because they're doing something that's against nature. And we're supposed to affirm that as a sign of love. That's not love. That's hate. You hate that person. If you love a person, you do what? You warn them of dangers. Hey, don't do that to your body. God didn't make you to do your body like that. You are an image bearer of God. God made you wonderful just as you are. You are a wonderful work of God. You are made in his image. God didn't make you to destroy your body, to take all these drugs, to try to be something that you can't be. No, God has something greater for you. He wants you to, to love as he has made you. That's love. Don't destroy your body. Don't take these drugs. Don't kill your baby in the womb because you got pregnant out of wedlock. Don't punish your baby for that. That's love. God loved Israel so much that he warned them over and over and over again about the dangers of uh, the pagans, paganism, the Canaanites. That's love. These were his people. So when you warn someone, you're actually loving them. Don't forget that. If you love someone, you'll say, when you see those railroad uh, bars come down, don't try to drive around them. You're warning them that what? If they do it, that train could possibly hit them and kill them. That's that's because you love them. So God warned Israel over and over again. Do not, do not destroy them. Do not marry them. Do not give your sons to their daughters. Do not worship their, tear down the altars, tear down the images. So Joshua here again, later, 
in our passage here is saying the same thing. Don't go back and cling to the remnant and make marriages with them and go unto them and they to you. So if they do this, what does he say? Know for certain. And we're going to talk about good promises and bad promises. We're going to talk about um, the boat, the, the, the double-edged sword of God's blessing and also God's curse. Because many people focus on God's blessings, but not focus on the fact of God's judgment, that God does judge sin and rebellion. So he says here, what's going to happen? Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations from before you, but they shall be what? Snares and traps for you. Isn't that what we heard in Exodus? Man. And scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. That's in the book of Numbers. Numbers 33, Deuteronomy 7, you see those same warnings. There will be scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. In other words, they're going to give you fits. A scourge is like an instrument of torture. That's what these Canaanites were going to become for Israel. Now, good question for us to ask is, what are some things today that seem innocent in our lives that may become a torture and a snare tomorrow? What are some things, not I ask you to answer this, but just something to think about. There are things in our life, in our culture, that can be snares to us, that can be Scourges in our side that could be tortures to us. People who are addicted to drugs, that's a scourge, that's a snare. People who are addicted to pornography or other types of sexual immorality, that could be a scourge. People who have social media, uh, they're, they're enslaved uh, to be people pleasing on social media. They're always looking for people to adore them on social media. That, that can be a snare. There are things in our life, vices as people call them, that are actually snares. They're enslaving. And these Canaanites, if Israel didn't rid themselves of them, they were going to become snares. They're going to always be there. Like a rock in your shoe that you just can't get out. You ever been walking had a little pebble in your shoe and you, 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 you try to deal with it, but then <laughs> you end up having to take take your shoe off like, you know, this thing is so irritating. That's, that's, the, way, that's the way that they were going to be. He said there will be thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, the thing is, ungodly influences, which is basically what these Canaanites were, 
Ungodly influences never advertise themselves as instruments of torture. Ungodly influences all, always seem like friendly. They seem wonderful. They seem fun and cool. But we have to be discerning enough to see past all that. We read what 1 Corinthians 15, I think 33, uh, where, 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 where Paul says, uh, you know, be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good people. We read that last week, remember? Evil communication, evil associations corrupt good people, good manners. Because I, I remember saying this last week. Evil influences us more than we realize. Evil company. You keep company with evil people, it's going to influence you. You're going to act like them more than they act like you. We have to be very careful about that. And that's what Joshua's warning the Israelites about. And that's what God warns us about. Don't keep company with evil people. Now, you have to work with them, yes. You may have some in your family. You deal with them as such. But, but, you don't make associations with them and, and friendships and partnerships with them. Because they'll begin to influence you. If you're not sharing the gospel with them, if you're not strong in your faith, you need to be as far away from them as possible. If they're being an ungodly influence on you, you need to leave. You need to cut it off. Hey, I love you, but I can't hang with you. I, I can't talk to you. Because every time, every time we're on the phone, uh, we're gossiping. And I don't want to be gossiping. Amen. Every time we're on the phone, uh, you know, every time we meet, we end up talking about somebody or slandering somebody or whatever the case may be. That's an evil influence. I got some, you know, sometimes people call me and a friend who I'm talking about, I'm like, I don't want to talk to them because I know what they're going to be talking about. Like I already know. So we have to be careful not to be influenced by evil. We have to be very careful. And that's what Joshua was telling Israel. They're going to be a snare to you. Traps, scourges, thorns, all the worst things. A whip on your side. That's what a scourge is, like a, a whip. Jesus was scourged, you know, on the on the whipping post, you know, uh doing part of his crucifixion. He was he was scourged. He was whipped on that whipping post. And that's the way the Canaanites were gonna be for Israel. So he concludes this part, verse 14, by saying, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm going to die. That's basically what he was saying. <laughs> and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls, this one, the, this 
verse is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Right here what Joshua said. Every time I read it, and I mean this so seriously, every time I read it, it just brings a smile to my face. It makes my heart so joyful. He says, and you know that in all your hearts and in all your souls, that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God has spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Man. That means God never failed in what he said he was going to do. And to us, God never fails. That's why we hope and trust in God. And that's why Joshua was telling them this. Look, you see for yourself, God has never failed. God told them. God guided them through the wilderness. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Guess what? He did that for 40 years. They saw that cloud during the day. They saw that pillar of fire in the sky by night. He provided for them. He led them through. He said that he was going to lead them into a land filled with milk and honey. Guess what? They're there. They can't say, well, God didn't do it. Guess what? He did do it. Despite their rebellion. (laughs) Despite the rebellion of their fathers. The generation that didn't make it in. Despite that, God still fulfilled his promise. God is good to us despite us. God fulfills his promise to us despite how many promises we break to him. Of Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I promise you this. Lord, I'm going to do this better and so forth and so on. And the promises that, that, the promises that we've broken to each other. God is so good and he is so faithful. Not one word, Joshua said. Not one word. All has come to pass. Not one word of them has failed. All the good that God promised to them, it came to pass. So what Joshua's doing here. It's talking about God's faithfulness. This is another one. God's faithfulness, people, works both ways. Like I said, it's a two-edged sword. So we look at the both ways that it works. So again, he asks each man to prove God's faithfulness in his own heart by saying what you know in all your hearts. You know deep down in your heart, people, and deep down in your souls, that not one thing has failed. You know that. That's what he was telling them. You know that deep down in your heart and your soul. You know that not one thing that God said was going to happen failed. It all came to pass. So he was asking each man to prove God's faithfulness in their own heart. Probe deep within. And see if there was ever a time in their life. When they could rightly accuse God of unfaithfulness. And they couldn't do it. Now, as surely as God has been faithful to bless their obedience, guess what? He will be faithful to curse their later disobedience. That's why I said God's faithfulness goes both ways. He's faithful to fulfill the good promises, but he's also faithful to fulfill 
the curses and the judgment. So his faithfulness is both ways. We sing of God's faithfulness. We thank God for his faithfulness. When we speak of his faithfulness, we generally speak of the good side of his faithfulness, or the good part, not rather the good side, but we, we generally speak of the good, but not of the, the, the judgment. Now, he says, verse 15, Therefore, it shall come to pass, that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the what? Harmful things. Until he has assured you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. What are the harmful things? You find them in the book of Deuteronomy. All the cursings. Deuteronomy 28. You find the blessings and then you find the cursings. So all the bad things, all the all the curses. Guess what? They were going to come upon them. All the harmful things. Until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And again, you see that in Deuteronomy 28. You see all those curses, all the bad things that will happen. And guess what? Those things did happen. So, verse 16. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. So all Joshua did was repeated the, the blessing of uh, for obedience and the cursing for disobedience. That's all he did. Again, you find this in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy uh, 28. He's saying that God will be just as faithful to judge as he has been to bless. He's faithful in both ways. And this is something that we must remember. And uh, a lot of, especially unbelievers, but sometimes Christians can be this way. We only focus on the blessings, which is good. But God is also just or right in judging. Just as much as he is in blessing. A lot of unbelievers, I know a lot of people who ain't saved, they say, oh, Lord is blessing me. He is. Because he does. The Bible says he reigns on the just as well as the unjust. He causes it to reign on the just as well as the unjust. He does that because of his common grace toward mankind. But many people mistake, mistake those blessings, and it's all, almost always material blessings. They mistake the blessings of God for God's approval of them. But that is very deceitful. Well, that's very deceiving. They're self-deceived. They think, oh, God is blessing me, so I must be doing something right. No. I mean, we did um, ministry at the laundromat right up here 
with Social Security bill news uh, a couple of years ago. We were out there just, you know, paying for people's uh, laundry and stuff, you know. And I remember one lady uh, said, you know, I, she was about to put her clothes in dry, and I put the quarters in and stuff. And she said, she said, man, uh, I must have done something right. You know, God is God is best me. I must have done something right. You know, that's what she said. I said, ma'am, I said, we're just, we're just being a blessing to you from the Lord. But when things like that happen, people think, oh, I must be doing something right. My, my, my life must be, uh, God must approve of my lifestyle. And most of them are living in sin. They're, they're not worshiping God. They're not, they're not believers. They haven't confessed and repented and turned to Christ and trusted him as the Lord to save. But they think just because I'm getting all these material things and good things are happening to me, that somehow God is pleased with me. No. The goodness of God should lead to repentance. Paul said this in Romans. Look at Romans, the second chapter right quick. Paul, Paul says this. In Romans 2. God's goodness. Is not just goodness for the sake of being good. There's a purpose behind it. Romans 2. scripture you can write down okay so This is the same chapter where Paul said, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Okay. Ch uh, no wonder I'm in chapter 3 instead of chapter 2. I'm like, what in the world? Alright, here we go. Now, remember Romans 1 deals with God giving people over to their uh, enslaving sins. We talked about that uh, several times. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Man is without excuse. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. So he's talking about people who judging those who God has turned over to their sins, but they're doing the very same thing. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? So why is God good? Why is God showing forbearance and long-suffering? Forbearance means putting off like you... You, you, you keep putting off something like you get a forbearance on a loan. That means they they put off the interest to a later time. God shows forbearance to the sinner by not judging them right away in their sins. He's showing forbearance to them. 
He's showing patience with them. Long-suffering. But look what Paul says in verse 4. As he continues, I'm going to read back from the beginning of that verse again. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Why is God good to the sinner? Why is God good to the unbelieving? So that they can do what? Repent. Rejection of their sinful habits. So why does God show forbearance to the sinner? Why does God show practice long suffering with the sinner? So that they may repent. That's his mercy. Not just you, so you can go around saying, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Oh, I'm blessed. Got a t-shirt, got a tag. Don't even, don't even worship God as, as God and Savior. Not saved, haven't repented and turned to Christ and lived a Christ-like life. They go out here and live however they want to and then say, I'm blessed. And think that that somehow gains them favor with God. No, sinner, that forbearance, that God putting up with your sins leads to repentance. That's why God is good to you. That's the double side of God's faithfulness. That's the double side of God's blessings. God bless you because he's God, because he's good. Not because you're good or I'm good. God doesn't bless us because we're good, because we're not good. We don't deserve God's blessing. Yes. I mean, that can happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So I'm saying all this, say, dealing with the like the two sides of uh, God's faithfulness. God is, is faithful to bless. He's also faithful to judge. God is faithful to bless unbelievers as well as believers. But his blessings on unbelievers are meant to lead them to repentance, salvation, not to gloat or to give empty praise to God when they don't really worship him. So in this passage here in Joshua, God is just as faithful excuse me to curse Israel for their later disobedience now we're under a different covenant than Israel because we're not under the covenant of Deuteronomy 28 where all those curses all those curses in Deuteronomy 28 were for Israel just as the blessings are too Because Jesus came, the writer in Hebrews said, Hebrews 8, 6, and 7, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. He's talking about Christ. Inasmuch as he also is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no place for the second covenant. So this first covenant that we're reading about in the book of Joshua 
those blessings and curses were not for us. Now people say, you'll be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed in the fields. People, that's an old covenant promise for Israel. That's not for us. Preachers that preach that are repeating Deuteronomy 28, but you know what they won't repeat? They won't repeat the curses. <laughs> They'll just repeat the blessings. You'll be blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed when you're coming in. They're repeating the promises, the blessings of Deuteronomy 28, but they won't repeat the curses. Deuteronomy 28 was for Israel. <coughs> and what Joshua is telling them in this passage is for Israel. But the general principle behind it is <coughs> God does judge disobedience and rebellion. And he was going to judge Israel's. So all those harmful things was going to come upon them. Jesus became the curse for us so that we won't bear the curse of the law. Now, we do experience God's faithfulness to correct us as a loving father. Because God does do that. We see that in Hebrews 12 and 7. That's God's way of correcting us. He's faithful to correct us, but he's not faithful to judge and condemn us because we're not condemned. Christ was condemned for us. But we can experience a lack of appropriate blessing if we don't abide in Christ. There's a general principle behind that. It's like we're going to talk about Sunday. Uh, children, obey your parents and the Lord. You know, this is the first commandment with, uh, with, with promise, obey your mother and your father uh, that it may be well with you. That's a commandment with promise. That's generally speaking, if you obey your parents, honor your parents, life will be generally well for you. <laughs> so there are blessings that come with obeying Christ. But we won't be condemned for disobedience, but we will be chastised. Always remember this, people. God does not punish believers. Christ was punished for us on the cross. Chastisement and punishment are two different things. When you, when you chastise your child, you're not punishing your child. You're chastising them because that's your child. Punishment is punitive. It is like a judgment. It is like a sentence. Christians are not punish we are chastised by God Christ bore our punishment on the cross we must never ever forget that God does not punish Christians you know I hear Christians sometimes when, when things are going wrong in their life say oh the Lord is punishing me no he's not shut up Christ was punished stop having a pity party Christ was punished for your sins. You're not being punished. You're being chastised. God chasing those whom he loves. Chasing, chastening is corrective. Just like when you chastise your child, you're doing it to correct them, not to condemn them. God does the same with us. The old covenant, those curses, man, they were going to be pushed out of the land. But God doesn't disinherit his faithful people. But you know, God is so good. Although he drove them out the land when they were taken into exile, he still allowed a remnant to come back. That's what we see in the book of Ezra. Because God still remembered the promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So five quick lessons right here. Five points to end. How to stay true to the Lord and not be like Israel. Number one, all in this passage, remember the goodness of God. Joshua told them at the beginning of chapter 23, again, you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake. For the Lord is your God. He fought your battle. So remember what God did in our lives. Remember what God has done. Remember his goodness. Number two, keep claiming the promises of God. When you're having a pity party and you're feeling down and out, what promise can you remember? God is still with me. God has not left me. Christian, God has not left you. He has not abandoned you. I don't care how you feel. It don't matter how you feel. God is still with you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are some promises that you can hold on to. And what did Joshua say? The Lord has not failed in fulfilling any of his promises. If God says he's going to be with you, guess what? He is with you. What did David say in Psalm 23? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. That's a promise. No matter how we feel, no matter how low we get, and we all have our low times, our low moments, where we just feel like, Lord, I just can't do it anymore. I just, things just not go, Lord, I just can't. Lord, you're with me. Like that song we saw on Sunday, Shepherd. The Lord, my shepherd, leads me, leads me, and he is all I need. In the darkest valley, I know, I know, my shepherd is all I need. That's why we sing songs like that that point back to the Bible. Because they sing, they remind us of the promises of God. That's number two. Number three, have the courage to live by God's word. Joshua told Israel obey the Lord's commandments obey the commandments of the Lord don't turn from the what right hand or the left he said that in verse 6 be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so we have to have the courage to live by God's word the conviction to follow God's word no matter what we trust the Lord we follow his word amen Number four, keep loving the Lord. He said here in verse eight, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. You love the Lord. You, you cling to him. Again, we're talking about ways to stay true to the Lord. And number five, practice biblical separation. Again, you can be you can be friends or acquaintances with unbelievers. Don't get mixed up with them, with evil people. Practice biblical separation. 
Let your life be separate from theirs. Let your talk be separate from theirs. Let your thinking be separate from theirs. Let your activities be separate from theirs. When Fran and I go out to eat, we go out to eat with other married Christian couples. I don't go out to eat with non-Christian couples unless I'm doing it to evangelize or something, but, you know, or they're new to our church or something like that. But we, we only go out with believers because we can have good conversations together. They can be clean and wholesome and not filled with profanity and dirty jokes and all other types of, uh, you know, drinking alcohol and all that. I'm not gonna, we're not going to go out with the couple that's shacking up. Because we know they're living in sin. You have to live, have practice biblical separation. That's what Joshua was telling Israel. Don't make marriages with them that you may associate with them and they with you. Practice biblical separation. Have the courage, and it takes biblical courage to do that. Because we know the dangers of not separating. Amen? That's a good landing place. Thank the Lord for his word. Amen.